Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 8.55 p.m. Sunday night and we had a great service today. It was one of those Sundays where we were small but mighty. Uh, The weather was pretty terrible in the morning so I think people wanted to uh, stay home and I don't blame them. Uh, But it looks like this week here in the Bay Area, St. Pete, Tampa, uh, we're in for some more beautiful weather, so that's exciting. But that's not why you're listening to this podcast. You're not listening for weather updates. You want the good word from the Lord. And Hannah is going to deliver that today. Uh, But first, I just want to remind you, we've got two cool events coming up. You can go to diff.church and click on events to uh, register for either one or get more information. One is uh, we are going to be creating vision boards. That is going to be super cool. It's after church a week from today. And uh, it's going to cost five bucks and it's going to be super cool. In fact, we're actually going to be sort of talking about future dreams and plans and stuff at church next week. So it's going to be a whole themed sort of day. Also, there is a uh, Regenerate conference. Uh, Our very own uh, Caleb Quaid is a big part of it. And um, we are excited to support it because one of our core values is we love the earth. And that's what this conference is all about. Uh, Again, sign up or more information at diff.church and click events. Okay, Hannah, take it away. Obviously, the Lord is in this place because it was pouring and we're talking about baptism. Um, But also, this baby has slept for four minutes since 6 a.m. And if you think I'm joking, yes, I did time it. And when he popped his eyes open, I was like, how dare you? You are not with the program. So if he screams at any point, I may have to hand him off, but hopefully he's fine. Now, I looked on the calendar and I was like, what are we going to talk about today? I don't know. And then randomly I was like, I don't know, maybe baptism. And I was like, when was the last time we talked about baptism? Like two years ago. And I was like, it's probably been a couple months. Um, But that's what time does when you have kids. So there's a lot of different schools of thought on this topic. I promise you, it will be fine. Um, We are going to talk about some historical context so that things make sense. And then we'll talk about baptism. Okay? So theology school is in session. I should have brought my laser pointer. I did not. Even if I did bring my laser pointer, I couldn't use it because I'm catting a butt right now. (laughs) But there is a picture for you on the screen and it shows a table of baptisms and you probably can't read it. I also, it's a little crooked because I took a picture out of a book. Um, (laughs) And it shows all of the different baptism types. Did you know that there are different baptism types? Of course there are. There's different types of everything in church. Uh, There are four types, main types. Okay, we're not going to do minority baptism types. Four main baptism types in the church. One of them, column A, sees baptism as an essential act, which means it's part of what makes you a Christian. So if you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. That's that's where it lands in column A. Column B is like, it's important, but it's non-essential. It's symbolic. So you do it as a symbol of what has already happened in your life, which is a sincere belief and commitment in your heart. Row X practices baptism for people old enough to believe and make some kind of personal decision for themselves, so adults, older children. And Row Y practices baptism for infants, the children of people old enough to believe. What we're not going to talk about is like methods of baptism, like immersion and sprinkling and dumping water on your head. Those are exactly what they sound like. (laughs) 
So full immersion means you get dumped. <laughs> Sprinkling means someone goes like this in your face. Um, and water getting poured on your head is, can range anywhere from like a teacup to like the ice bucket challenge, depending on <laughs> who is baptizing you. So the amount of water, it has been a point of contention in churches for centuries because we will choose anything to fight about, but like literally not important, okay? So the table gives us four possibilities on baptism, and I will tell you who does what. In section one, baptism is a saving act by which person is not a Christian. So this is reserved for of-age believers only, and this is the rarest position in Christianity today. So very few people hold this. Um, some Pentecostals hold this, as do some of like the churches of Christ, but like it pretty much almost non-existent. Section two, it is a saving act, meaning you are not saved if you didn't get baptized. However, it is typically only applied to the infant children of believers. So like Roman Catholics, uh, Greek Orthodox, some Episcopalians and Lutherans and Methodists will do this. And they, the belief is that in baptism, a child is changed essentially in their nature from one thing to another. So before they were not a Christian, and now they are a Christian because water got poured on them. <laughs> um, there's a lot to be said about like consent there, but let's table that. We will come back to it in a moment. Let's skip to section four, which is baptism practiced for infant children, but as a symbol. So Presbyterians do this, some Methodists, Lutherans, Anglicans. Um, it symbolizes the faith and commitment of the parents to raise their children in the Christian community and the, com the commitment of the Christian community itself to help with that. Lots of commitments all around. Section three, this is where most of America evangelicalism land. It, they baptize only people who have made a personal commitment to believe in and follow Jesus. So this is dis seen as a decision an individual person has to make for themselves. The parents cannot make that decision for them. The community cannot make that decision for them except for babies, <laughs> which I just as like a student of the church find hilarious all of the loopholes that we find and like the overlaps because we're like, the evangelical church is generally like, absolutely we will not baptize babies because they cannot make a choice for themselves. However, we will do a baby dedication, which is exactly the same thing as section three, it's a symbol of the parents committing and the church committing and God committing and everyone's making all kinds of commitments. We're just not putting water on them. So we're not baptizing them, so it's fine. <laughs> now, my understanding of church history is that the very early church did sections three and four, meaning only people who were able to make a decision and in their infant children were baptized. But slowly it migrated to section two, which is, I don't remember. I actually don't know where I am in my notes right now. <laughs> we'll just keep going and pretend that never happened. No matter if you think the outcome is right or wrong, it makes perfect sense if you stop and look at the progression, okay? So this is what happened in church history. At the very beginning, everyone who became a Christian did so by personal choice and usually at a great personal cost to themselves. So they had to make a decision to be like, I'm gonna sign up for that because I'm probably gonna get a lot of bad stuff happening to me. Up and including people in business will no longer do business with me. My family might be shunned. Um, I can no longer do business in the marketplace, in the temple. I can no longer talk to all my old temple friends, whether that, I mean, Jews and 
Roman citizens who went to all kinds of temples. I may actually get persecuted for this. I might get murdered for this. There's all kinds of things. They were like, yes, I will sign up for that. Over time, as more and more people became Christian, they had children and they raised those children in the faith. And so Christians started being born into the faith rather than being converted into the faith. And then Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. So to be a Roman citizen meant you were basically a Christian. So baptism was just like, yay, another one. Another one is born for the Lord and also the Roman Empire. And in the 15th and 16th centuries, people looked around and they were like, literally everybody thinks that they're a Christian. And they thought this way no matter what their moral character was like, no matter what their belief was, no matter what their way of life was like, no matter what they did, they were like, yep, I'm a Christian. I was born in the Holy Roman Empire. And some people became very upset by this. And obviously this doesn't speak to us today. No one in America calls himself a Christian and is still mean and terrible. <laughs> the reformers, that's who these people are called, the church reformers, they felt that being a Christian was radical. It was like a radical thing. It was a personal thing. It was not just something you did in name. It was not just a label that was applied to you by being born. And they were convinced that being born and baptized in a Christian, quote unquote, house did not make you any more of a Christian than being born in a barn makes you a horse. They were like, this is not. So they experienced this powerful reignition of their own faith. And then this made them doubt highly whether they had ever even been a Christian before. They had this moment in their life where they were like, oh, this is what faith is. This is what God is like. And then they were like, did I ever know that? Because the church said I did, but I never experienced that myself. And so they got baptized again as an expression of their new faith. The infant baptism did not count for them anymore. So they chose to be baptized again as adults. And now this is like this outward sign or symbol. And then these adults, as you do, have kids. <laughs> and those kids, instead of getting baptized, they waited. And they made them wait until they came of an age where they could make a decision for themselves. Now, I went to school for church, which is a lot less cool than it sounds. And it doesn't sound very cool. <laughs> And we actually had a class on how to baptize people. And I'm not joking. We all packed up as a whole theology class and we went to the pool on campus and we all had to wear t-shirts, obviously just the girls, had to wear t-shirts over our bathing suits so that we could get in the pool. And we got a lesson on how to properly baptize people. So if you never need to baptize someone, I wanna give you a demonstration so that you can be prepared in case there's a sneak attack baptism happening. First of all, make sure people hold their own noses. You do not want to be responsible for the amount of water people intake. <laughs> you also don't want to crush people's noses, which apparently is a problem. Um, make people responsible for their own oxygen seal. Okay, right here. The second thing is make sure people hold their own arm over their chest like this. Okay, why? Well, I... There's many reasons for this. One of them is it gives you some leverage. You can like pull on this. The other thing is when you're baptizing someone, the majority of pastors in America happen to be of the male persuasion. And about 50% of the people that get baptized happen to not be of the male persuasion. And so when you're dunking someone like this, it's just um, fate that you may stick your hand somewhere. No one wants you to stick your hand. And so in school, they were like, please do not touch the ladies. 
like verbatim. <laughs> they were like, make them hold, create a barrier over the person so that you don't accidentally grab someone's chest. <laughs> you should also put one hand on their back or their shoulders right here so that you can have leverage to get them out of the water. And um, if it's a very tall person, you should invest in an extra baptizer to assist you <laughs> in getting this person out of the water. And I know this because I, who am the same size as I was in college, I've not grown any, I'm not any inches taller, got to baptize my friend Rob, who was 6'3 and 300 pounds. <laughs> and they were like, and the teacher was like, mm, I like this. <laughs> you guys pair up together, yes. And then Rob just flailed around in the water and he got what we'll call an extra blessing from the Lord because I could not pick him up <laughs> out of the pool. And finally, I don't know why this needs to be said, but you need to dunk people quickly. Do not hold people under the water while you pray for their eternal soul. Um, pastors have a lot of issues, but this to me is one of the stranger ones. Like why? <laughs> why are we holding people down? I have seen a lot of baptisms and usually it's like we baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, dunk up right? This is normal. I have also seen baptisms where it's like, I baptize you in the name of the Father, boosh, and the Son, boosh, and the Holy Spirit, boosh. <laughs> you have to have a little extra flair on the Holy Spirit because yes. Um, and I have seen one baptism. This was in a river when I was small because I was raised in church. It's very Pentecostal. <laughs> I was like, oh no. And my mom was like, don't worry, they won't do that to you. <laughs> the guy baptized someone. He was like, I baptize you under the water, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then just kept talking. And the person was just like, ah, under the water. And I was like, I think they're drowning. And then they came up and they were coughing, obviously, because in addition to holding them down, they did not make them responsible for their own oxygen seal. <laughs> so, you know, I guess we need to be told not to drown our congregants. Now, if you know me and you know different church, you know I'm not very interested in being a super Protestant who has the right answer about baptism. And I am not actually very interested in all in whether you've been baptized or where you were baptized or how did you get baptized or whether there were 500 people cheering you on or whether it was just you and the person who baptized you and God. What I am interested in is why. If you have chosen to be baptized, why did you choose to do that? And do you actually live out that meaning in your life? One of our main problems with modern Christianity is the same problem the reformers had way back all that time when they switched from infant to adult baptism. People are getting baptized all over the place. And it doesn't seem to make one bit of difference in their lives. They're still mean and judgmental and harsh and angry and not inclusive and a whole long other list of things that we could talk about. The more you follow Jesus, the more brilliant and revolutionary Jesus becomes to you. The more real God becomes to you, the more precious life becomes to you. And the more warm and empathetic you will feel towards other people. If we are not growing every day in empathy and compassion towards other people, then we kind of need to check what path we're on because it's not the path of Jesus. If the path that we're on makes us more angry, more upset, more judgmental, more non-inclusive, more or less likely to sleep, then you are not on the path of Jesus. <laughs> the more God becomes part of your life, the more you want to go forward in healing, 
right? The more kind and compassionate and loving you will be. The more open to yourselves and others you will be. The more full of grace you will become. And this is where Different Church stands on baptism. I love it. I think it's so wonderful. I will celebrate it, not as something that saves you, but as an outward sign of something that's already happened in your heart. If you've connected with God in any kind of meaningful way, and you want to symbolize that connection with some kind of a physical act, then baptism is for you. And there's no pool, so you can't. You can't. <laughs> if you're feeling the spirit tug on your heart right now, too bad. <laughs> Why is it a symbol? Like, I wear a wedding ring because I'm married. I could wear a ring on this finger and not be married. The ring does not make me married. It is a sign to other people that I am married, and it's a reminder to me of a commitment that I've already made to someone who I love dearly. And being baptized is very similar in that regard. Just because you got dunked does not mean God has made any meaningful changes in your life. It does not mean that you have tried to heal your past trauma. It does not mean you have tried to keep going forward. It just means you got dunked in some water. You can do that at the beach. What happens is God connects with us and we connect with God. And then if we want to, we get baptized as a sign that God is important to us. And it's a reminder of our commitment to progress, to grow, to walk on the path of faith with someone that we love dearly. And it asks something of us in the same way that getting married asks for a higher level of commitment from your spouse. Like, in baptism, you're committing to participate. Before you get baptized, you can be like, yes, God loves me. Cool. And God does love you. And that is cool. But once you get baptized, you're saying, God loves me, and I want that to mean something in my life. I want my life to actually reflect that love to other people. I want to not just love my neighbor as myself, but learn how to love myself the way that God actually loves me so that I can then spread that love and compassion to other people. It's participating in the healing work that God is trying to do in the world. And I know we have all kinds of people here. So some of y'all were raised in like a more liturgical church and maybe that's not how it was presented to you. Maybe you were <laughs> baptized as an infant. Maybe you've been baptized like five times. All of that is fine. I want you to believe what is meaningful to you. We are allowed to believe different things. I'm just telling you where we land as an organization. And I wanna tell you why, because consent is like, I think one of our highest values. If you can't consent to your nature being fundamentally changed from one kind of thing to another, then I have a problem with that. If you are pressured into something, because that's just what you do after you repeat some words and say a prayer, then I have a problem with that. If Baptism is a thing that was put forth as just the thing, the next step. You have to get baptized before you can reach whatever plane of Christian existence. Then I have a problem with that because that's not what it is at all about. To mean something, it has to be your choice. And baptism and salvation, I might add, in the evangelical church has kind of been turned into like a numbers game. Like how many decisions for Jesus did you get this week? How many baptisms did you get this year? Somehow we've turned baptism into a performance sport so we can prove we're making a difference and talk about the numbers that really matter. And I fully am aware that I sound a little bit cynical <laughs> and harsh there, and that's because I am. 
so it is an accurate <laughs> assessment. I am a bit cynical and harsh because I think that baptism is meaningful and beautiful, just like putting a wedding ring on, and we've turned it into another capitalistic Jesus product that we can be like, look how many baptisms we sold. Look how many decisions for Christ were written on a card. And I don't mean to minimize in any way the importance of someone making a personal choice to do something. I think that that is beautiful. But when, we're, when that's all we exist for, we're missing the point. What about loving people? What about growing in knowledge? What about using the minds that God gave us to really reflect on the word and the Bible and the life of Jesus and the history of Christianity and how we can make it better and the experience of our community? The final piece just for us here is that baptism does focus on Jesus. And I know not everyone lands in the same spot as we do about Jesus, and that's totally fine. We're allowed to believe different things. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. That will never change our opinion of you. It will never change how we treat you. It will never change how we view you. You belong, plain and simple. That's just it. But for me and for us, baptism is an instruction given by Jesus. And Jesus is central to everything we do and central to me personally. To be baptized is to make a commitment to live in the way of Jesus. Y'all can come back up. We have our own baptism liturgy because I read a bunch of them and I hated them. And so I wrote our own, much like we have our own all kinds of liturgies. We have our own benedictions and we have our own ordination liturgy and all of that because I read them and I'm like, this doesn't speak to like who we are as a people. It doesn't speak to who we are today. So if, if you ever choose to get baptized at different church, first of all, you have to want to because you have to come find me because there's no pool. And we have to like arrange a time to go to the beach or borrow someone's house who has a pool when it's not freezing or raining. <laughs> so there's some hurdles to get through. But then typically what I hear is, have you made a personal decision to believe in Jesus? And do you know Jesus lives in your heart? And that's all that is said. And to me, baptism means so much more than that. And so this is our baptism liturgy that you will hear if you ever choose to get baptized here. Baptism is a practice that we celebrate in, we participate in, to celebrate outwardly the healing that God has given our souls. Do you believe that Jesus is walking with you on the path to reconciliation with God and yourself and others? If so, say, I do. Will you commit to being as Jesus was, radically inclusive, hospitable, living a life of love and kindness, compassion and mercy for all, offering forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, and working daily for justice? If so, say, I do. The way of Jesus is to see the divine image within every person, including yourself, to seek God's presence daily, to recognize that God has made you whole and complete and forgiven and redeemed and affirmed through the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is already in you. It is your sacred duty to go and live in the way of the Lord. And so, now you will be baptized in the name of God our Father and Jesus our brother and the Holy Spirit our mother. God of becoming, Sometimes we wonder how to praise you in a world that seems so fragile. Wars, catastrophes, and unjust laws can topple lives in an instant. Our bodies 
made for connection and play and rest, are riddled with anxiety about how to survive in our system of oppression. Go forth with assurance, loved ones. In your grief, God is with you, and God is within you. In your joy, God is with you, and God is within you. Holy God, in the paradox of life, guide us forward with your unchanging love. Amen. <laughs> Would you like to say amen? You have nothing to say for yourself now? Okay, we'll say bye. <laughs> I'm back.